We just got what, done watching the <coughs> episode of um, Star Trek Discovery tonight. And um, one of the interesting things that's happened is uh, I've never seen this in a show before where they actually um, had a whole series of uh, direct references to the Star Trek, um, the original Star Trek series. Now, I find it um, really kind of interesting just because the um, the original Spock, um, the original crew, the stories about uh, tra- travel to Talos 4, I think is what it is. Hold on a second, I'll tell you. 4. Yeah. So it's a, it's a trip to Talos 4. And according to this, it um, was an in- inhabited M-class fourth planet of the Telos system, um, which was, at least in the uh, prior discussion of everything, was annihilated through a cataclysmic um, action. I think it was uh, it was either I think it was a um, supernova. And um, I just want to tell you how much the universe as programmed before didn't like didn't like uh, people that uh, exhibited mental capabilities. <coughs> but um, one of the interest there's two interesting concepts with this. Now, from what I've seen and what I've been able to learn about the universe um, through methods that are too bizarre to explain. Um, planets that are in a developmental stage, um, put specifically, they are going through the process of, um, they're considered something referred to as pre, a pre-warp civilization and everything. So any planet that's considering going through a pre-warp uh, civilization and everything has a cloak put around it. So any, any planet that has life um, on it, has what's known as a, it, it's more or less a digital cloak around it, which more or less makes it so where it, um, it becomes undetectable um, from external mechanisms and everything. Now, every planet that, uh, that has this cloak around it, uh, there could be any, ver- any number of different uh, varieties and, and things that appear for this cloak. The most common is the black hole, you know, so basically a black hole exists um, and, it, and it appears for all intents and purposes that it, it, it appears like a black hole, but once you get closer to it, um, I mean, and, and particularly if you are a digital being, um, it will act and react and pull and, and manipulate you in, in the same fashion that, uh, that a, a real black hole will. Um, but uh, if if you dive through it, and this is taking a big leap of faith because if your instruments are telling you this is going to happen, and, and if uh, your visual references are telling you this is going to happen, and you know, uh, I mean, what other feedback mechanisms do you have? You know, the ship starts acting like this too. You know, um then for all intents and purposes, you believe, you know, in a general sense that you're going to be destroyed on entry. And um, that's one of the interesting things is they end up pointing it towards this black hole, you know, and uh, at this point, boom, they go right through it, you know, and Spock's sitting there, points it straight at it, and um, 
what's her name, the, uh, oh, I don't know why I'm not thinking about her name right now, Star Trek Discovery Crew, starts with a B, I'm pretty sure, Burnham, yeah, so Burnham, Burnham is on board with Stock, and Burnham is, um, Stock's half, uh, Spock's half-sister and everything, and, uh, they ended up pointing this thing directly into that, and then, boom, they go flying right through it to Talos IV, and, uh, at this point, they meet these creatures, these beings that have been, um, kind of, like, isolated by both the Federation, you know, they've been embargoed, they've been isolated by the Federation, and also by the rest of the world and everything, or by the rest of the universe, by this cloak that isolates them and everything. And, um, Spock goes there because he's had a problem with trying to understand time. He sees time from, um, he's starting to have a mental breakdown in his early age. And this is the interesting thing, is they actually detail Star Trek from the Gene Roddenberry series literally 50 years ago. And uh, they they more or less highlight this. Here's they say here's what happened last time on Star Trek Discovery. Well, they ended up zipping through all these Star Trek episodes from you know from literally the 1960s. And it's like okay, this is kind of bizarre. You know, it's really an interesting way to to start a series and everything. And um, you know, then it uh, all of a sudden introduces and you know, there's different Spock. Clearly, there's <laughs> a different, uh, you know, different, um, characters all together, you know, and all of a sudden they go visit this planet, and, and Talos was depicted in, in Gene Roddenberry's, um, Star Trek, and part of the reason they ended up not going there, and not, and, uh, all, all the Federation was disallowed from going there is because they ended up leveraging mental capabilities. Um, they had psychic capabilities above and beyond the knowledge and awareness of anything and anyone else that was out there and everything. So, it was really interesting, you know, from the standpoint of, you know, first off, they fly through this black hole, and all of a sudden, boom, the, the black hole seems to flicker, and it, it, it acts like it disappears, you know, and more or less, it's just like, you know, Burnham's trusting Spock, and Spock puts the thing, pierces the thing right through, you know, and they discover a planet that's actually hidden behind it. Well, my suspicion is a lot of planets are actually hidden, cloaked like in a fashion like this and in Spock's case um, part of his reason for visiting there is because of something has happened where he's had some visions that have made it so where he's predicted things out and he doesn't understand and what's happening is it's it's basically causing his mind to lose um, control uh, from a, a temporal perspective, and as the uh, the Talos people, the people on Talos uh, put it, they end up saying he he's um, he's having a hard time differentiating bet between linear time and uh, fluid time, and um, if he doesn't get control of his mind, he can quite possibly go crazy. Well, I find it really interesting, you know, this whole premise and everything, that they're presenting this in such a way, and, and again, I take all these shows, you know, as basically indicative of, you know, what's going on out in there in existence or everything, all the different possibilities. In this case right here, um, 
I'm also taking these things as a, as an education. Uh, it's kind of like a reflection of my own thought processes, and you know, putting spun in different from different perspectives and everything. You know, so it begs a question. You know, I've got a couple outstanding questions for this. <coughs> the first one being, um, you know, Spock and his um, the lack of congruency and the problems that are existing between linear time versus. Um, versus fluidic time and um, the the way I look at it is the issue at large here is the chronology that exists within a per person's life the past is the past it's immutable in a relative sense the future is the future and it's unknown to a large degree um, and you live in the moment. Well, there's two different p potential perspectives that I look at this. Um, we all have a story that we live, and there's one potential, and I don't know if this is the Star Trek you know, universe discovery um, perspective and, and way of looking at the universe. The timeline that you live is fixed meaning the universe has all been pre-calculated out, all these things are going to happen, you choose a life, and that life is a life that's, you know, got a fixed linear quantity about it, and, you know, basically, um, your living and your dying are all well known in advance. Um, you know, just basically when you live a linear chronological life, you know, and as a conscious being, you live it and you die it, and it's basically a story. And the the free will is basically the choice, the life that you choose to lead, um, and the story that you choose to lead. And uh, at that point, you know, and you know, more or less, when you return to quote unquote the source or whatever it is. Um, that's one potential framework and perspective and everything when they refer to Spock's loss of congruence and everything with his linear linear mind and linear time versus fluidic time. So one possible perspective is, you know, um, that uh, these Vulcans, um, that they believe in a linear time and that that linear time, death is a return to the source, and that return to the source is then the choice of another life, and that other life that you have is something that's just basically you're choosing again and again and again, you know, different choices and everything once you emerge from the life that you're actually leading and everything. Well, you know, so, and more or less the expectation and the suspicion, the um, expectation is that uh, within a life, you have no idea of the chronological sequences of what's going to happen. Um, but in a general sense, um, it, it's something that is known, and there isn't any real free will with the solitary exception that you choose this life, and then once you're done with this life, you choose the next life. It's like a story. You know, you choose the story to live. You know, um, what story do you want to choose? Well, you know, boom, and at that point you go into that story and it's like a holodeck program. You become that central character and you're just basically guided on a, a, a string, you know, a puppet per se, you know, down the path and everything. And the linear time, it moves in a very predictable fashion and everything. And the past is the past, the future is the future, predetermined, and at that point you're out. 
So that's one particular perspective and everything that, that they're referring to with the linear framework. Now, there's another linear linear framework, and this is the framework I've actually believed in my, my pretty much my whole life. And um, that's, that's that the life that I've lived, you know, um, that's my past. Now, the life that, um, the, the events, chronological events that have happened around me and the world around me, um, that's, I had accepted them as fact before, but now I don't necessarily accept them as fact. I accept them as possibilities, as stories, you know, um, sometimes the stories work perfectly fine and everything, and other times I gotta integrate different story and different perspective and everything, or I might intentionally inject some new ideas and new concepts in based on, based on my personal experiences and everything. You know, so there's some fixed events that actually happen in history um, around me. You know, fixed events such as JFK's assassination, fixed events such as um, the first man on the moon, fixed events such as, you know, the founding of Disneyland and the creation of, uh, of, of <laughs> that wonderful theme park, um, fixed events such as, um, I don't know, 9-11. Um, these fixed events and everything, these historical events and everything are important to me, you know, to, and they're, they're a part of what I have actually, um, consumed, you know, from living in this world and everything, but the, but they're not, <clears throat> these fixed events, um, for the most part I was exposed to through television and through media and that kind of stuff, and that, and that information has actually shaped and molded the world around me. Now, one thing I certainly accept is <coughs> that until I accepted those events as fact, those events may not have existed in the real world. So, you know, and um, really, this is kind of profound if you look at it. You know, that means my acceptance of certain events that have been portrayed on TV could have originated from the minds of people <coughs> presenting ideas and concepts and everything that, um, you know, they had no intention of it being real, or they might have been testing, you know, experimenting, philosophizing on, hey, you know, what happens if we do this to a select group of people or something like that. There's any number of potential reasons that information could have been, you know, put out there and positioned and presented to me, you know. Um, the whole 9-11 thing could have been a conspiracy that, you know, isolated um, Phoenix or maybe even my specific neighborhood that I was living in while I was uh, living over in Gilbert. And, um, you know, for all I know, you know, I'm the only one um, that saw 9-11. And as a result, boom, you know, it creates that reality and everything. You know, so the way I look at all these things is, you know, the things that I personally experience, you know, whether or not that's, um, you know, the uh, going through Thunderbird, um, going through some of my experiences over at the University of Phoenix, pursuing my, my marketing degree and walking down and going through and actually receiving my diploma and everything. Um, same thing holds true for Thunderbird, too. It's just like receiving it and, and going through that entire process and everything. All of this, every single one of these events and everything has held meaning to me in my life and in my mind. And, um, you know, the, this is my past. Now, my past does integrate some of the ideas and concepts that have been presented to me through various sources, you know, that I have not directly fit, witnessed myself, you know, but 
it comes down to the profoundness, the impact that these um, these events have had on my life. Now, why is JFK's uh, shooting so important? Well, it's the first time I was really introduced to this concept called conspiracy theories. And um, this is a Bruder film, and the whole idea that there was different locations and different places that, you know, people saw things, a smoking gun, the, the you know, the studio up, up above and everything with the, where they found uh, Lee Harvey Oswald's uh, stuff and he fled the scene. Um, I mean, there's literally three, four, five different locations and everything, you know, that, that are depicted and, and discussed and everything. It's just like, okay, you know, which one's right? You know, if you're looking for, you know, a, a wonderful conspiracy to ignite the mind on fire and to basically look, get a greater look at what's happened in, in reality and everything, you know, that's in itself one of the most awesome examples of, you know, really just presenting conspiracies for the first time. And um, for me, the importance of under of seeing it in that light, a conspiratorial light combined with the enthusiasm of my teacher, Mr. Davis, um, in an English class, it's actually a pivotal moment for me because it's the first time I actually stopped looking at English, and in particular literature, as laborious, and instead started looking at it as... How interesting, entertaining, you know, um, to some degree, um, fun. You know, now I'd always read before then, you know, but I hadn't actually paid attention to, you know, to the classics and that kind of stuff. And while I'm still not keen on the classics, I certainly appreciate the stories. You know, and I'll definitely go back and read read some here and there and everything. You know, but that's the whole thing, you know, for me. It's just like, once I realized, you know, that, uh, the whole process of, you know, the reality that I form, you know, as a chronological event and everything, that's actually the alternative perspective that um, Spock himself could potentially look at, you know, um, you know, from within a life, do you, you know, do you view the, your life as un, as unplanned? Does it, does it feel like a surprise? And at the end, do you find out that you had planned out the entire fucking thing? You know, it's a fatalist approach and everything. But, there's the alternative perspective. There's no planning. You just choose, and you make choices. On occasion, you change those choices. And, you know, it's the linear and chronological sense of things and everything. It's basically an ongoing, choose-your-own-adventure type thing. You know, you get bored with one lifestyle, or, or you get sick and tired of something happening, and, you know, something will be presented to you to allow that change to occur and everything. That's another way of looking at linear time. It's not planned. It's just basically something that happens when you aren't looking. And the whole concept of life and death, that certainly throws a little bit of a, a loop into things, a little bit of a, a wrench, a, a monkey wrench, if you will, into things. So anyways, you know, when it comes down to it, it's my suspicion that uh, the Vulcan mind at least is depicted in Star Trek and, you know, outlined in, in uh, fictional terms and everything, you know, is one that expects um, that the life is a story, that uh, you are, and actually, I'm going to look up Vulcan culture, Vulcan culture and values. <laughs> <coughs> Vulcan philosophy, here we go. 
So, Vulcan philosophy revolves around the concept of logic. The highest ob objective of a traditional Vulcan was to either control or suppress all emotion, which is obvious, thus rendering a purely logical being. As difficult was a task was attained through meditation and discipline. Um, to purge themselves of any remaining lack of emotional context. That's the goal. And... Vulcan philosophy after the time did not totally abandon its past. These ideals were leading to... were forgotten. Hold on a second. So here's what it says. The Vulcans reasoned that complete dedication to logic could allow for weakness and frailty to arise and endanger them. Thus, ancient practices such as the... What do they call this? Kazwan were preserved, and many Vulcans continued some form of dedication to their ancient gods, including ritual pilgrimages. These ideals were forgotten by many Vulcans around the 22nd century, leading to corrupt governmental systems. Unknown at the time, the government had been infiltrated at the highest levels by Romulan operatives, misleading the population with distorted vision version of Serac's teachings. A small faction called the Serenites found their philosophy on what was believed to be his true works, discovered Serac's original texts, restored the, the society he had built, other works related to his philosophy um, are Kira Thin Thaw's First Law of Metaphysics, Nothing Unreal Exists. I like that. Um, everything is real. I mean, if you want to <laughs> the negative. Um, and T. Plana Hoth's statement that logic is the cement of our civilization with which we ascend from chaos using reason as our guide. So Vulcans embraced cultural and racial diversity, as again evidenced through Eidic. Uh, Vulcans also embraced a passivist philosophy, going so far as to follow strict vegan diets to avoid killing even non-sentient animals. Vulcans believed that the needs of a very large group should go before the needs of a very small group or in any individual. Now, this actually presents a long-term problem with concepts of God, because... Um, when it, when it comes down to it, if God's real, or the idea and concept of, of, of God is real, and if this God or deity's wishes um, do not align with the Vulcan belief system and everything, then at that point, guess what happens to, uh, to the concept of God? It gets ruled out. Thus, uh, potentially taking away the free will of God. So, that's not necessarily a good thing. Well, it depends on your perspective. Vulcan philosophy was a topic of study at Starfleet Academy by the 24th century, and because Data was not affected by feelings or emotion, he considered himself closer to being Vulcan than humans. However, he was not attracted to Vulcan philosophy. Um, he felt that through their devotion to logic had a certain appeal in its simple purity, he found overall this is somewhat stark philosophy, lacking beauty and joy. And, uh, really, when it comes down to it, um, oh, here's another one that's interesting. Vulcan thought has been compared to Asperger syndrome on at least three occasions outside of canon. The 2005 novel Orion's Hounds, Counselor Troy, wonders if Serac had the Vulcan equivalent of Asperger's. Um, 
and this, this ought to tell you the origin. It's my belief that some of these syndromes, some of these um, mental disorders as classified in the United States and also you know, in the, within Earth, um, have been isolated and there have actually been isolated outside the collective mind of, the, of this Earth. And um, this has actually been responsible directly for the creation of, of alternative planets, alternative belief systems, and in a literal sense, alternative species. So, um, in this case right here, Vulcan thought has been compared to Asperger syndrome on at least three occasions outside of Canon. Um, in the Hounds of Baskerville, 2012 episode of Sherlock, Sherlock Holmes is compared to Spock and is speculated to have Asperger syndrome. 2017, please stand by me. A young woman with Asperger's attempts to submit her ma manuscript to a Star Trek writing competition. Her story concerns Spock's quest to understand humor. Now, I mean, for me, um, so looking at uh, the, the possible issues that are presented here, um, there's two frames, two perspectives to look at the construct of linear time. There's one, which is this pre preconceived notion that fate and free will or that free will um, is uh, is something that doesn't happen, and fate tends to dominate. Um, and this is one particular perspective. The other particular perspective, uh, the major perspective, at least from my pers from my in my mind, is um, that uh, that the story that the story of our life, of my life, anyways, is being written as I live it, day by day. You know, so the choices I make are a direct result of the stimulation and everything I feel around me and everything. And, um, you know, more or less, you know, I'm, I'm at the same time the storyteller, the story writer, and, and God, you know, that created my, my own existence and everything. You know, so to some degree, that's actually, you know, this whole, it, um, you know, that's, that's actually what the Vulcans do not tend to believe in. They're scientifically based, um, not just based, but their, their existence is predicated on, uh, the belief system that, um, that science is the, the key, you know, to enlightenment. And um, to some degree, I actually would hold them responsible for, for creating the scientific method. You know, this whole idea that uh, collectively, you know, you uh, you gain more power and energy and capabilities to be able to figure things out than you do th do through the individual. And and this this philosophy tends to treasure and idolize and isolate um, the individual experience from the collective uh, collective agreement. And that can, in my opinion, well, I mean, both of them get dangerous, but, you know. So going back to the whole concept of, uh, of this, you know, he's having a problem um, understanding, you know, what they call as fluidic time versus linear time. Now, I myself, I suspect that, um, that the notion of linear time that they're referring to is basically he's living a story, and that story is absolute, and it's immutable, and this is just basically a choice that you make, you know, at the beginning, um, at the beginning and end of your life. It's, it's a big, huge circle, 
you know, so you're an eternal being and everything, and they recognize their eternal nature and everything once they've gone through this process they refer, or that's commonly referred to as ascension. And in that ascentive phase, um, at that point you recognize who you are and, you know, you make a new choice, and that new choice leads you down a path of another story, and another story, and another story. And this is the concept of reincarnation, just put a different, pers you know, from a different perspective and everything. So, when this comes into direct conflict, where this comes into direct conflict is with the idea of, um, of choice within the life. Now, if you are, you know, paying attention to thousands upon millions upon trillions of, uh, of entities, that are actually billions of entities which are living their life, um, you know, that are going through these processes and everything, you know, the question is, you know, um, your choice, you know, as an eternal being and everything, you know, if you are actually the one living your life from a fluidic perspective and everything, and every choice that you make um, in that moment is affecting everything around you, you know, everything. So from the TV shows to the movies to, you know, to the, um, you know, computers, uh, you know, to the um, people around you and everything. And um, what what can potentially drive a logical, rational person mad with all of this is too much information to process. You know, because in a sense, you know, you are receiving all the stimulation based on your what you're saying, and you know what it, when it comes down to it. You know, um, you've got, you know, hundreds, if not thousands of different sources which are reacting with individuality, with the specific programming that's associated with it, and it's interpreting things. Everything is interpreting things in their own way. It can seem maddening. This is how I spent most of my formative years. That's actually just come to think of it. I mean, peer pressure. Didn't know where it came from. You know, and the whole concept of dealing with all this stimulation. You know, I couldn't, I didn't know. You know, I mean, I've got so much different stimulus coming from so many different directions. <coughs> Some friends, you know, that were formed in the mix and everything. Others that... Now it just didn't make any sense and everything. You know, I was trying to fit in. I wanted to actually be within the in crowd or something like that. And it was just like constantly dealing with trying to actually do what's what's right for me to fit in, to placate people in a lot of cases, to try to find out why some people lashed out at me and for no apparent reason and everything. It was just like constantly analyzing myself, constantly, and trying to figure out what the fuck am I doing? What am I saying that's causing this to happen? So I'd make adjustments to what I'd say and I'd inevitably piss somebody else off. You know, so I was just like, man, it's not even a balancing act. It's just like, this is insanity. How is that I deal with the stimulus <coughs> of all this information, all these different ideas, and all these different things coming at me? You know, on a regular basis. And it starts in grade school, and it, you know, it only gets worse from there. Until finally... Until finally, it was just basically too much information, and it it just got to that point where you know that's 
you know, where, uh, where you know, Spock is at. <laughs> and then what brings you there, you know, is, is this. The simultaneity of information in its flow. I can say something, and I can get evidence that's causing an effect in other things directly. That shouldn't, that should not be responding. Whether or not that's a TV show, whether or not that's a movie, whether or not that's a physical concept. I remember driving through um, Scottsdale one time and um, saw a corner and I remember saying to my ex-wife at the time um, we were driving, it was, uh, it was Lisa and I and we were up in uh, North Scottsdale and we weren't married at that time, we'd been divorced for quite a few years and everything but we still hung out on occasion and I remember it was raining and I just picked her up from the airport and she had a, you know, basically a cut, I think it was like a 24 hours so I let her kick back on my couch and everything but I sat there and, you know, she was commenting on the area, we ended up going out for dinner to a really nice place and I commented, you know, towards this area, and I said, you know, of all the places that are missing out for a 7-Eleven, right there would be a great place to put it. And I'm not shitting you within six months' time, you know, this barren land that had been barren for 70 years, 80 years, you know, prior to that, boom. Within six months of me making that comment, all of a sudden a 7-Eleven gets constructed there, you know, with the gas pumps and everything. You know, and I'd notice this kind of shit happened all the time. You know, like right now. Construction tends to follow me around. You know, no matter where I go, always, there's always something that's under construction right around me. You know, is it because there's something always under construction? Well, I don't know. You know, I mean, it's a really tough th thing to say because the only evidence I have is that which is directly around me, and that's where I'm experiencing the things that I'm seeing. You know, and that's actually the interesting thing that could potentially drive a person mad after enough enough of these little, what are con seemingly coincidental, nonsensical, or things that you might just rationally just basically isolate each incident and more or less try to find a way to dismiss it. You know, I mean, that's that's the whole thing. You know, you get to the point of, of just taking these instances and disassociating yourself from responsibility for them. You know, basically saying, this isn't about me. Quit thinking so individually or narcissistically. You know, quit thinking from the egocentric perspective or everything. It's not about me. You know, it's about, you know, this is just the way the world functions. No, it's not the way the world functions. It's the way the world functions for me. So Spock, that's what you're going through, man. You're going through this this sequence. And I'm not trying to destroy your temporal frame of reference or anything like that. You know, and I'm speaking to you directly now and I'm hoping that you do get this directly too. Fluidic time is it's disordered. It may seem disordered. It's because there's no predictability, at least from an analytical perspective and everything, for the cause and effect and the sequencing of things until you start understanding time. 
Now you understand that instinctually. You know that time is the critical factor to keep into you know to to take into consideration here. Now for me, one of the things that I've you know really thought about a lot um, was you know what is this thing called sleep? When my thoughts and my memories and I feel refreshed in the morning and everything. Well, I mean. You know, it's just like you have to take. I had to take into consideration that it wasn't just eight hours that passed by, you know, because that's placing a dependency on external things to me, you know, and I honestly have no clue how much time it's really been since the last time I woke up. I woke up when I fell asleep. How long has it been? Well, for me, I mean, I accept that it's eight hours, but it doesn't mean it's eight hours. It could be eight billion years. You know, it could be, you know, twenty trillion. And why I say that is, if I, if you think about your mind, you know, as being something that can accept a program, and it accepts information, your consciousness exists, whether or not you have the information loaded up from a from a personal frame of reference of whether or not you're Spock, or you're me. You know, it's just um, that life that you're currently living is like a spark. You know, the conscious framework that you're living from within tends to wax and wane, at least from my perspective and everything. Being between collective, um, a collective nature and you're a part of a collective or isolation, an individual perspective. Neither is more powerful than the other because it's all the same thing. So, to some degree, my belief system, you know, has gotten to the point of coming to one of two possible conclusions about the way that my mind functions. Number one, my mind is my own mind. It's always here, always will be, and everything around me is all the possibilities I've created within this thing that I refer to as life. I don't know how long I've been going, going and doing this, and I don't know, you know, um, I, just, I mean, I, I have a temporal frame of reference from this perspective and everything, but I also have plenty of evidence to suggest that this has been going on for trillions of years. So, while I might call it, you know, 50 some odd years and everything from this, this temporal perspective, um, certainly not the limitation. That's just what I've witnessed, at least, what I've accumulated from memories from this perspective and everything. How long it's going to go on? I don't know. And I, I suspect that the story of this body and of this life was supposed to end at about 40 to 42, somewhere in there. And I suspect because I actually was an analytical thinker and did think a lot, like I had Asperger's, or from a Spock-based perspective where rationality and logic was more king and emotion was something I was really trying to uh, to get under control and everything. I appreciated this, the, the Vulcan perspective and everything. But it didn't make it the right perspective, it just made it a perspective. But when that didn't happen, and all of, a sudden, all of a sudden, shortly after I started experiencing the events and everything that I did, it was just like, okay, 
So Spock, from your perspective, linear order has disintegrated, or it's fallen apart from a chronological perspective. And if I'm not mistaken, if I'm not overreaching, I suspect that you are a product of mind. And to some degree, you're, you're a perspective of my own mind, disassociated from me. So to some degree, you believe that the chronological sense and the expectation that I didn't, that I was supposed to die at the time I did, since that didn't happen, it's not making logical, rational sense, because that's not normally what happens. Well, I think I've separated this out. Mitosis of the mind. So I'm going to suspect that the story... It's the story, you know, that you had believed was the segue between mortality and not. For me, I was always immortal. I just didn't accept it. That's the way I look at it. And as far as fluidic time, every event that happens, every every little piece of information, every idea, every little notion, everything, um, it stands that could potentially alert me, you know, to any number of different things, you know. But here's here's the beauty about the scientific method. It allows me to isolate the things that I'm interested in. It allows me to harness the power of my own mind, knowing that the act of observing the things I want, and the act of observing the things I want more of, is reinforcing the creation and development of this reality. And the act of intentionally dismissing the things that I don't want, walking away when an argument forms, putting on my headset, ignoring ads on TV, turning my head when some ad for fucking vampires comes on again. I know each one of these is providing direct stimulus to my brain, to my mind, to basically say, stop this nonsense. I don't want this shit. I want something more. You know, so I'll watch porn and everything. Why? Because I want more of it. But I want it in my real world. And I know that the way to influence my real world is to harness these things that are referred to as TV programs, use it to program my own mind, and keep watching and repeating. Invariably, reality will fall back in line, and it will intentionally ostracize, through self-selection, those that don't want what I want. It becomes an easy process. I remain convicted to my beliefs, to my wants, especially to my wants, not necessarily to my beliefs, but to my wants. I remain convicted to my wants and my desires, 
And those that don't want me to have that? Hmm. In this case, the needs of the of the many are, are are outweighed by the needs of the few. You see, this is a fundamental breakdown. And every philosophy has a breaking point. Take the um, you know the whole paradox of the time traveler and the grandfather paradox. Uh, works wonderful if you believe in linear time, but it really starts breaking down if you're adopted. Now I suspect that me becoming adopted, I was biological at one point, then all of a sudden I, I chose to remember my family as being adopted, just because the formation of family didn't require the label of adoptive or not. I can hold on to the relationship of family with just as much importance. Whether or not that label of adoptive or biological was there or not doesn't make a shit of difference to me. What made a difference to me was that they were there. So you could take out, you know, my my quote unquote real biological father, but or grandfather. But if they're referred to as adoptive, and my mind utterly believes this, which I do, it renders the whole grandfather paradox null and void. And this is the thing about time. In a Star Trek Enterprise, T'Pol, over and over again, states the same thing. The Vulcan science has said that time travel doesn't exist. Well, it's not that it doesn't exist. It's just that within a life, it's a difficult thing, and it's not understood how to manage it from a rational, logical perspective. Because it seems unmanageable because of the amount of information that you receive for stimulation. It does. I mean, it absolutely does at first. You know, until all of a sudden you start realizing that information management hmm. it's okay to change. It's a process. It's a characteristic. And time itself, it's the story. You know, it could be rewritten, it could be changed, it can be... anything can be done to it. I'm curious, you know, what happens with, uh, with Spock and how they resolve the conflict. You know that Spock looks differently, and that's actually something I hope they 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 um they get obvious about, because I mean they hinted at it. That was one of the interesting things. You know they hint that Spock looks different. You know when he ended up go, going to uh, to Talos, but they glossed it over pretty quick. You know they didn't they didn't elaborate on that. You know, they said something about you were here in a different form or something like that. 
but they didn't really go on. I hope they spend more time developing that. Discussing it. And I also hope they uh, spend a little bit more time detailing. Actually, I'm going to look at the timelines for this. So Star Trek Discovery Timeline. Here's an interesting statement. Star Trek Discovery Episode 8 rewrites Captain Pike's emotional timeline. Uh, how Star Trek Discovery fits into it is pretty simple. So, Star Trek Enterprise. Yeah, that's what I thought. Ah, it's a younger version of Spock. Okay, that's how they did it. So Star Trek Discovery happens in 2255. Star Trek, the original series, happens in 2265 to 2269. Okay, so here's some things I've seen on the internet that actually... Um, take issue. Star Trek Discovery's timeline issue, the ships. The ships in Discovery should not be more advanced than Kirk's ride. And the costumes. Yeah, that'd be interesting to try to see see them explain explain the uh, the inconsistencies for the the ships and the costumes, because the costumes had very 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 short skirts for the women, so much so that uh, they always had to cross their legs because otherwise, if they weren't wearing panties, you would see their coochie. And the Cleons are fucking ugly in the in the Star Trek. It'd be really interesting to see them revert. And Spock looks different, too. That would be interesting, is to see if they can actually tell a story that bridges... I mean, see if they can take Star Trek Discovery and lead it to the development of the Star Trek episodes themselves, which are in ten years. Can they do that? Can they connect the dots? in a temporally linear consistent manner to basically give the women reasons to wear short skirts and let's say the the women start walking around naked and everything you know or they start wearing skirts you know I mean clearly there's a it's not necessarily about male dominance it's about the women the fact that the women choose to get and take off their clothes more you know so this is actually kind of the challenge I would have to those that are creating this You've got a 10-year period of time. Now it's nine, actually. From now until the events that are depicted in Star Trek. Now, if all things are equal, we have nine years of which to develop the plot to take Star Trek Discovery. Let's say the show goes for nine years. It would be really, really cool to see this thing evolve over time, over a very short period of time, 
to be consistent with the rest of the Star Trek universe presented by Gene Roddenberry. Um, not just in clothing and attire, but also the ships as well. And the looks of the uh, Klingons. It's the segue going into the Klingon Wars actually um, already there. But why is it Spock would also change in that period of time as well? That would be really interesting to see if they can actually pull that off. I mean, it's a ballsy move if they try to do it. But I think it'd be really interesting from a, uh, from just a time perspective and everything if they could actually do it. And see if they can actually start making some active efforts to do it. So, two, two seeming, seemingly completely different universes. Just bridging them. That's what I'm talking about. So, anyways. Uh, I really didn't have much of anything else to say today. I'm just kind of like rambling. I made a uh, chicken pot pie last night for dinner. It actually came out pretty well. <laughs> made uh, three of them, and uh, all three of us, my me, my mom, and my dad couldn't eat it all, so I actually had it for lunch today, and uh, it was good. It's pretty good. Um, I'm extremely, extremely, extremely proud of my mom. So, mom, if you're listening to this, I'm, I just want to say it in a different location, too, but I'm proud of you. Really proud of you. You've kind of worked out with me six times over the last two weeks period of time, and, um, you haven't given me much graph on it, so I am utterly, utterly proud of you for going with me. Or for me taking, you taking me, because that's definitely been the case here. And my arms are fucking sore. My legs not so much today, but my arms are still sore from Wednesday. All those months, those years, putting, uh, pushing the, um, suitcase around and carrying the backpack and everything, while... I didn't really have to do much of anything with my upper body. I definitely did a lot with lower body, and it's it's more than obvious. I am incredibly surprised at how how my body just isn't uh, isn't bouncing back. So I'll get back into the swing of the workouts in no time. And uh, oh, but for now, I'm just like, holy shit, did it get sore quickly? Six years, it's the longest I've ever gone since I was 16 years old without a workout, and it it shows. So, um, one of the other things I wanted to mention is I'm starting to notice some... Uh, what's the best word for this? Some incongruencies in my own life and some of the events that are happening and everything. Uh, incongruencies isn't the best way to sum this up. It's more just a perspective of I'm seeing things that are happening that, uh, you know, based on um, either what I'm watching, you know, and here's, I'm just actually, I, I did the linking before, a little bit of linking just now with the Star Trek type stuff and everything, and uh, 
when I'm talking about coincidences and these weird coincidences that occur that just seem to be getting a little too much. And this directly has a relationship with the whole spot conversation, fluidic time, and that kind of stuff in discussions. Um, I've been watching a lot of these uh, these house cams. Um, people have, uh, they call them voyeur cams, set up pretty much around the world. So they're in United States, Canada, um, Eastern, Western Europe, Kazakhstan, Kazakhstan, all the stands, um, Russia. They're in all these different locations and everything. And typically there's in anywhere between two to ten different cameras uh, that are actually set up within a, a given apartment or house. And um, you can watch them 24-7. And I have been. So I've just been turning it, flipping through them and just taking a look at these things and everything. And uh, now here's the thing. Each one of them has a fisheye lens. Um, I would say about 90% of them do have fisheye lenses. So the intention is to capture all, capture all everything that's happening within a the viewable area. And typically these things are set up in, you know, some really, I mean, they're, they're not in obvious locations. Um, they're in locations that aren't that easy to find for most people um, because a lot of these places are clearly uh, the occupants don't know that they're there. So how do I feel about that? Eh, I don't care. You know, um, I suspect that I've been listened to my entire listened to and watched my entire life and I'm fine with that. So now it's my turn to pay back and pay it forward in my own way. But, um, in any case, um, I've seen everything, uh, through these. I mean, gorgeous girl that, uh, you know, she's, her husband leaves at nine o'clock and she abandons all her clothes and she's walking around butt-ass naked for the rest of the day. Um, <laughs> one of my favorite pictures right now, you know, she's cooking her food and, and then she, uh, goes over to her computer, it's at the uh, kitchen table and she leans over and, you know, just starts, um, you know, just basically lean, is, has her knees on the chair, and uh, she's basically on, you know, she's got her arms on the table, her ass is in the air, uh, legs are elevated off the uh, off the chair, and she's just look watching the TV, or TV on her computer for two hours, just in the same position, just leaned over, I'm just like going, oh, that's so nice. You know, it's simple things like this. It's just, I enjoy it. You know, and part of the allure for some of these cameras is just basically seeing people do, you know, what they do behind closed doors without censorship. You know, it's just nice. I'm not interested in watching murder mysteries. You know, I'm not interested in, you know, what I am interested in is, you know, a cute, attractive girl, and, you know, maybe she has sex with her boyfriend, and her boyfriend leaves, and all of a sudden another dude walks in. <laughs> I think that's kind of funny, and yes, I've seen that. Um, you know, the thing that I like seeing some of these Eastern European places and seeing, you know, counting how many microwaves are there. Most of them don't have microwaves. Um, I like seeing how many p people cook food, and, you know, I would love to get real-time transcripts for some of this to, you know, that I can actually understand what's being said, and a lot of times I would love to actually get real real live feeds from th for their computer and for their TV so I can actually watch TV with them, you know, watch what they're watching and listen to it at the same time and maybe have a real-time transcript of that at the same time, too. Um... You know, but I don't have that kind of capability yet, give it time. But uh, what I do have the capability is to actually be able to sift through these cameras and just basically watch. 
you know, I'm, I like, you know, it's like I, I've grown up on TV, I've watched it for so long and everything, and I, I genuinely speaking, you know, I don't like reality TV, you know, because it's not reality to me, you know, this is people that are putting on an act for a camera, um, where the drama's highlighted, and it's just like, that doesn't seem real to me, you know, um, for me, it's just like, that's not reality. What reality is, is it's kind of mellow. It's kind of boring. It's kind of, you know, just kick back and relax and chill and, you know, um, hang out and just, you know, maybe nothing too crazy or anything like that. You know, that for me is reality. You know, the reality is, you know, I saw one dude, this big, huge buff dude, who's got his gorgeous girlfriend, but she's depressed as all hell. You can definitely tell. And they stand in front of their window. It looks like they're in Sweden or something like that. They just stand there. And uh, on occasion, she strokes him. They just stand there looking at, looking at the world. Why? I don't know. You know, these are questions I don't know. There's another, uh, another uh, couple I saw, and this is kind of like, you know, this is how I think the real world functions. It's weird at times, admittedly. Sure, you're going to see arguments and hear some of this, too. You know, and the drama stuff, you know, it's reality TV <laughs> has drama, and, and you're going to see the same kind of drama, but not just not as regular as you do on this quote-unquote reality TV. You know, what you do see in reality is more people that are just like, <laughs> I mean, like I was saying, the buff dude and everything, um, girlfriends, uh, you know, going through and texting while he's snoozing next to her, and um, she, he gets up to take a shower, and uh, he goes in, and, and when he comes out, she's just basically naked playing with her um, bunny rabbit, he comes over, slaps her ass. Slaps it again. She bends over. She slaps it again. And it's just like, wow, that's kind of interesting. You know, for me, it's just like watching funny shit like this and everything. Um, oh, another one. One of the things that I ended up watching yesterday um, was a, um, was a uh, couple of girls, and uh, they're sitting there watching TV. And all of a sudden, you know, one's got her top off. The other girl that's right next to her, there's three girls all together, uh, is their friends. One of the girls is friends with the other two. The other two appear like a couple and everything. And uh, all of a sudden, one leans over. She puts this giant dildo on. And at this point, um, her the other girl gets on top of it and starts writing it right there. They flip it to porn on the TV and everything as they're watching this. And the other girl's just sitting there just watching all of it. And, I mean, this is kind of like par for the course. I see, I see this more than once. You know, things like this where, you know, a guy's in there. Um, one is there's a household that, uh, you know, this... Basically, everybody walks around naked. It's all roommates and everything. Nobody has any clothes on or anything like that. You know, well, sure, I see some nor a lot of normal stuff, too much normal stuff, you know, but it's things like this that I get a kick out of that I think are funny, you know, that I laugh at. And I'm just like, going, you know, I mean, the whole social, sexual mores concerning, you know, nudity and that kind of stuff here in the U.S. is just so repressed to some degree. And you look at, I look at things like this, and I'm all going, you know, I I wish I I would have had a little bit more. 
less naivety, I should say, growing up and going through all this stuff. And, um, you know, I could have accepted things that I went through with Jackie a lot more. You know, I could have inspired and incited some of it myself. And, you know, one thing I always wish I had done myself is just basically said, fuck it. And, you know, there was a, a guy that had been talked about in uh, the newspapers over at Stanford that uh, one day he decides he's going to school and he's just going to do it completely naked. Well, it's not that I'm a nudist. It's just that, that I like seeing people's reactions. But I don't like to be the product of those reactions. Does that make sense? You know, so if I had the capabilities, I would, um, I would love to take a girl like Jackie and um, just tell her to do things and, and follow her around. You know, literally follow her around. Maybe follow her with cameras and everything. You know, just basically have her go do the things that I'd want to and everything. And I just sit and kick back and watch people's reactions. I like reactions. You know, that's the whole thing. But I don't like being the target of those reactions. I don't like, you know, the energy, the... the what's the word for it? The it took me so long to get away from peer pressure and from feeling the need to conform and everything, you know. But to some degree, I just ended up. I mean, that's why I choose a mellow life and everything. I'm just it's a little bit easier to manage and everything, you know. But still, there's things like this that uh, you know. I think the big problem for me is just I'm overweight. If I could lose some weight and everything and feel more confident about my body then I would probably go do these things myself, you know, but the simple fact is that's not happening. So, and it hasn't my entire life, despite how much effort I put into it. So, in any case, that's why somebody like Jackie or Rachel is just like, hey, I would love to just basically say, hey, go do this, and boom. They go do it, and I get to watch people's reactions and everything. But that ain't reality, right? So, in any case, I was talking about the the, the inconsistencies and everything, and um, there's a reason for uh, you know for some of this is I saw um, in these cameras and everything I've been seeing a lot of these spy cams, the um, 90 degree fisheye lenses that you see an entire room within you know it's more or less a a 1080 type of screen and everything so it's it's distorted on the edges because of the fisheye and everything well I had noticed a couple shows you know on the last couple days that were leveraging a fisheye you know big time you know Voyager was one of them and um, and the Orville was another one they used uh, especially Voyager uh, not Voyager um, Discovery <laughs> Now, I, I noticed, you know, um, a lot of things, and just, it was kind of weird that, I mean, it's not kind of weird to me anymore, I noticed that the things that I indulge in have a way of feeding back to me in this thing called reality, and in this case, I'm watching these fisheye cameras for prolonged periods of time, and boom, all of a sudden, I see this in a direct feedback loop to myself, 
the fish eye lens has come back at me through Discovery, you know, through an episode of Discovery. Well, was it always there before? That's one question. You know, was it there before? And did the future and me watching that steer me in the direction of actually choosing to watch these fish islands camera uh, camera TV sh- uh, cam shows uh, the the voyeur things and everything both both could potentially be true but the one I choose as my truth is the choice I made stimulated the development of this in a non-linear way my mind altered time itself influenced time itself to basically cause the production of discovery to change and to present an end product that actually ended up having these cameras in it why? basically it's my mind saying hey you know this is how we work my mind is trying actively you know in an active way you know to create a relationship with me you know, it's it's teaching me how it processes information. You know, it's kind of like uh, the way I look at it is it's like a computer system. You know, a computer system that I interact with, you know, Microsoft, um, you know, Windows and that kind of stuff. It's programmed to teach me, you know, through the various methods and everything and Cortana and that kind of stuff, you know, to present information in such a way that actually makes sense to me let me organize things accordingly to the way that I want it, and it's a continuous feedback loop. Well, and the same thing holds true for my mind. You know, I'm not giving my mind life and saying that it exists as a life in itself. It is as much a part of me as I am a part of it. But I'm learning the mechanisms on how it works, how it interacts with the world around me, how it influences the world around me, and that causal relationship in a non-linear way. So basically what I'm saying is, you know, the the things that I choose, you know, it presents me stimulation, information it basically stimulates. At that point, that I make choices from, which cause things to happen through the mind, which end up providing, reciprocating, and causing this feedback loop that basically makes us aware at this point it influences the reality that I perceive. And it's not just limited to TV screens. You know, I've seen the same effect, you know, in places around me as well. New buildings and that kind of stuff, and that's happened repeatedly within watchdogs as well. Now, sure, there's the possibility. that all my devices could be hacked. It's certainly impossibility. I mean, if I'm Q, you know, as I as I insist I am, then, and some people have become aware of this, then money could potentially be no object for basically um, trying to understand who I am, how I think, and trying to actually get control, you know, of me and or the quote-unquote technology that enables me to be who I am. Money may not be a, be any object and everything. That's one perspective into what makes all this possible and everything. Well, that's one perspective. The other perspective is they're basically puppets on my string. You know, they're doing exactly what's required for me to be being able to basically get control of my own mind. 
You know, so one, while one might externalize this as technology for them to basically try to understand and get control of, from, from my perspective, it's just basically my own mind. Who's right? We both are. I mean, it really is that simple. <laughs> and getting control of your own mind, you know, is narcissistic. You know, it could be deemed a negative label or anything like that. Personally, I like the label. It's like pathology, or was it um, sociopath or psychopath? Yeah, if you look up the definitions for that, you know, there's really, I mean, I get a kick out of the definitions and, you know, how they're misconstrued and everything. You know, but um, here's what I'm trying to say, though, you know, is the feedback loop of at least my mind causes these events and these things to form in the world around me and everything, um, which prevents me, in a lot of cases, with the choices to, in a lot of cases, turn it off, to change the channel, to not pay attention, to focus in certain areas, to do certain things and everything, and this feedback loop, you know, keeps on building. This is actually what's responsible for creating this thing called life, you know, and in this world around me. It's literally a feedback loop. So, in any case, I think um, that's that's the thing Spock himself is having a hard time grappling with. You know, is the whole idea and concept that life and, and free will really are a choice. You can either choose not to be, you know, not to live with choice or, or, or that. Or you can live to be somewhere in the middle. Some things I don't choose. Some things I let choose me. Particularly when I'm bored or in need of something to do. I um, sent out a message to, uh, to Bill Gates today. I'm just basically thanking him again. It's not the first time I've sent, sent something, but this is the first time I dropped it in a blue mailbox, which I believe it will it hit it, its intended recipient. The other ones were privately based from commercially based organisms, and I don't have a whole lot of faith in it getting to the uh, to the sender, you know, through those methods and everything anymore. And um, what I ended up saying was just, uh, you know, as a full, you know, page and everything, th more or less thanking the dude, you know, just for being who he is and everything. But I took it a step further at the end, and I said, hey. I'd like to you to invite you up to my or down to Vancouver, and uh, I'd like to make you dinner. You know, I'd like you to meet my my folks. I'm gonna make it a fact to start doing this with a lot of uh, what I consider world leaders, people that are actually important to me, you know, and have have contributed at least to the stories that are actually influencing my life and uh, influencing the lives of people around me in ways that. I I find favorable or entertaining or interesting. Donald Trump certainly one, so I'll be sending him a message before long. You know, but um, the way I look at all this is, the I think that there's this moment that once you start realizing that you are the most powerful person in existence, the evidence will present itself to assert that. It doesn't comment fast at first, you know. And if you look at uh, what what um, Mr. Smith said in the Matrix and everything as well, the toughest thing that the computer systems had was trying to teach the humans that they weren't dreaming, 
that that what they were experiencing when they're experiencing fantasies um, was rejected because the the fantasy just didn't seem real enough or whatever. Well, if you take this as an indication of the frustration level of frustration that quote unquote machines have had in trying to manage the minds of the individuals that actually reside within it. It's because there was one solitary flaw that the machines thought it was necessary to manage all the minds. I've taken it to a different step, though. I basically started thinking, hey, let's say that was real. All of it. You know, the Matrix and all that whole concept of creating the perfect reality and everything. And let's say that's exactly what I want. Now, how do I get my mind not to reject my fantasies? How do I get myself and bring myself to the point of being able to snap my fingers and Jackie's there? I ask her to give me a blowjob, she gives me a blowjob. I ask her to go walk walk over to 7-Eleven completely naked and get all the attention and everything. And she does. I snap my fingers and boom, there's Rachel. Snap my fingers and boom, Warren Bora Bora. Or even better, we're on the, the planet Riza. Experiencing the pleasure planet depicted in, in Star Trek and everything where males and females go just to hang out. I get bored with them, and I find a new woman. I go hang out at Starbucks for a little while. Just to keep myself entertained and everything. Maybe I build myself a little... I don't know. Invisible. Maybe I build a hotel in space. Name it after the Hiltons. <laughs> Invite Paris to manage it. Let her refer to herself as the owner of it. And from there, I live, I don't know, I live in an area that uh, maybe isn't necessarily the penthouse, maybe it's just a, a little area that I've got secluded all for myself, that I just kick back and enjoy. Take someone back and everything, just go and hang out and but I've got the most wonderful view of the entire place. And occasionally I take somebody there. But for the most part I just hang out. I just watch. Look at different things. Once I start learning how to traverse different galaxies and traverse, traverse into different universes, I go visit some of, some of my favorites. Supergirl, for instance. Maybe teach her lessons about how not to fight. Maybe challenge her in ways only I can challenge her. Take off your clothes. Have some fun. Surprise people. Fly around naked. Quit trying to be so perfect to everybody and just have fun with what you do. The Flash. 
have him stand back. Quit proving that he can actually put out every fire and every uh, police report. Instead, let the police do their job. Let the firemen do the job. And find ways to leverage that power that you have. And make it work for you. Find ways to do things that you never thought thought were even possible before. Learn about time travel. Learn to make it your own. Have some fun with it. Maybe find ways to teach people like me different perspectives. Maybe, maybe combine efforts. All these beings and everything. I don't see this as just coincidence or serendipity that there's been so many hoot superhero shows and just it just so happens that the comic books I read and that I focus the most on, the X-Men and the Fantastic Four and the Flash and all these guys that the things I paid attention to were the things that actually blossomed that grew into something more. That's, that's no coincidence. It's scary to think, you know, that uh, you, you, as an observer, an influencer at the same time, have this kind of capacity to be able to alter and to arrange and order the fundamental universe that you see around you. But we all do. I'd love to reach out through this camera right now that I'm watching this cute girl cooking on the stove that regularly walks around naked that today she isn't. I'd love to reach through and pick her up, throw it, set her right next to me in a three-dimensional way. And all of a sudden, her scale changes and transforms to the full-size woman. I got a clone. Just somebody I could have some fun with, frolic with, for a couple hours or a couple days if I wish. And I put her right back when I'm done. And she's none the wiser than any, any of it ever happened. Or, I speak a command. And while they don't know I'm watching them, they feel the influence, and they receive through an instinct, a compulsion, or something that makes them think, hey, I'm hot, take off my clothes. They don't receive it through a text message. They receive it through a feeling. Or a fleeting thought. When you talk to pictures, moving pictures, And you believe they're real. 
they become real. But the methods, methods of interaction are not limited to those which other, others can imagine. They're limited to that which you can imagine. <laughs> which I can imagine. But they have to be limited. That, Mr. Spock, is what allows fluid time and linear time to coexist, coexist peacefully. Simple respect for opposing beliefs, knowing that ultimately our perspective is isolated by design by our design collective agreement ultimately requires one individual to own it. I'm that individual. Anyway, Star Trek was cool tonight.